You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. This morning, I'm going to be speaking to you out of John, John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, we have uh, magic boxes up here on the ceiling that are going to project it for you onto onto the wall, so you can see it on there. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works. Somebody say greater works greater works than these he will do also because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son if you ask anything in my name I will do it hallelujah that ought to be enough to get somebody dancing here this morning if you ask anything in my name I will do it How many know here this morning that there's power in the name of Jesus? Amen. There's power over sickness. There's power over disease. As we just mentioned, the name of Jesus, he is present with us. Amen. And he hears our cries. He hears our prayers. And just for a few moments here this morning, I will not take long. I know you've heard that from preachers before. I will not take long. I'm going to be speaking to you on this topic. Are you ready? Are you ready? Why don't you just set your Bibles down for just a moment, lift up your hands, begin to worship the Lord one more time. God, we give you the praise. We give you the thanks for everything that you've already accomplished in this service. We thank you for the wonderful privilege that it's been just to walk into your presence here this morning, to feel you so close, so near to us, God, speaking to our very hearts. God, we thank you, Lord, for the music that was here this morning, that we lifted up our hands and worshiped with God and we thank you Jesus for everything that you've already done and we just anticipate God greater things greater works Jesus hallelujah Lord we worship you for it in Jesus name everybody said amen amen are you ready are you ready those were the words that I asked my eight-year-old daughter as we sat in the seat of a roller coaster But this just wasn't any roller coaster. This was the Mount Everest roller coaster at Animal Kingdom in Florida. And might I add that my kids have never been on a roller coaster like this before. They have been on a little kiddie roller coaster before, but what a way to break the ice. Put them on this and, you know, somehow we decided as their parents that this was the best way to just put them right in there to it. And so we're strapped in, and uh, to me, I'm claustrophobic. I hate being strapped into anything. And so, don't tell anybody I told you this. Sometimes, I have been known to inch myself or make myself a little bit bigger, so when they push that strap down, I have some more room afterwards. I'm not as worried about falling out as I am about being strapped in, so I'd rather have the room. Um, So we're strapped into this. We're anxiously waiting for the ride to start, and all of a sudden, the cart, it pulls us forward. 
you know that jerk that you feel as it starts and all of a sudden the, the heart starts racing. You know that there's going to be something happening. You just don't know what. All the twists and turns that are going to be coming. And so we got pulled up and up and up and all I could see in front of us was sky. And uh, actually this is, this is a portion of the track right here that we have on the screen. And uh, you could only see sky, and then all of a sudden, okay, I, spoiler alert, for anybody that plans on going and trying out this ride, I'm going to tell you almost everything that there is to know about it. So if you don't want to hear, just plug your ears right now. You might not want to hear this next part. But as, you, as we get to the top, all you can see is the, that the roller coaster, it plummets inside the mountain and into total darkness where all you could hear was just screams of everybody on that ride. Mostly me. And when you finally see the light, you also see that the track is broken apart. And you come to an abrupt halt, and you hear this click of the track, and you think, that can't be good. I wonder if that's part of the ride. And then it flings you backwards through the mountain in total darkness once again, twists and turns this way and that way, and again, everybody's screaming. And uh, when you finally see daylight again, I looked over at Sadie and I told her, that was the worst part. But I had forgotten that that was not the worst part. The worst part was just up ahead as we come out into the daylight and then you see nothing. You just drop immediately and go almost immediately straight down. And then we quickly turn left and right and then left again with flashing lights and the scream of a Yeti. <laughs> the ride wasn't long, but it felt really long. We got off the ride with our legs shaking and our anxiety through the roof. And tears, they were streaming down Sadie's face, and I thought, she'll, she'll never do that again. The ride is ruined for her. And uh, I asked her if she was okay. And I look over at her, and she wipes the tears from her eyes, and she just goes, again. <laughs> there are things in life that absolutely terrify us, new things, things that we aren't prepared for. They take us off guard. They surprise us when we least expect it. And I can only imagine that that was how Carol and Susie Davis felt when they stepped foot into St. John 100 years ago at the age of 39. Now, this is, not the, this is not them at 39. I know ministry takes a toll on your body, but that might be a little bit of a stretch. This is, uh, this is one of the only pictures that I could find of them. And uh, 100 years ago, in just a few months, as part of one of our big events this year, we are celebrating 100 years of Pentecost here in St. John. 100 years, can you imagine? That's something to be excited about. For the first time in St. John, people heard about this thing called the Holy Ghost. People heard about how God wants to come and live inside your life and how he'll change you forever. And so, if I take a step back a little bit into their story the Davis sisters, their parents died when they were young, and so their aunt, Minnie, accepted the task of raising these two twins. And both girls decided they wanted to be school teachers. 
But little did they know that God was at work in a little place called Azusa Street in L.A. where William Seymour, that's him right there, was preaching on this thing that they had just experienced called the Holy Ghost. And it would sweep across North America, and it would change the course of their lives forever. And around 1910, at the age of 26, these two ladies, they decided to go to a Pentecostal church in Chicago where William Durham was preaching about this thing called the Holy Ghost. And there in that revival meeting, Caro, for the first time, got to experience God in a way that she had never experienced him before. She was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And by the time they got home that night, God had filled Susie as well. They were changed forever. And these two sisters began preaching in the streets about the good news of God's love. They held street meetings and house meetings and tent meetings. And they started churches in Georgia and in Florida. They suffered persecution. They faced uncertainty. They had people try to shut them down until they only had one family left in their church. But God wasn't finished. Sure, there were probably times that they felt discouraged, but they wiped the tears from their eyes, I can only imagine, and said again, again, Lord, we want you to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost again. We want to see you transform lives again. Come and do it again. And in 1922, they heard the voice of the Lord telling them to go north. They had no idea what that meant or where that would be. But they started out like Abraham did, not knowing just where they would go. Arriving in Bangor, Maine, they started holding revival services and started a church there. And then the next year, they moved to Fredericton and started a church there. And it was the year after that, in 1924, they landed in St. John. And they started preaching in the streets here. That Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the baptizer. He is the healer. He is the soon-coming king. Hallelujah. Exactly what this hungry city needed to hear. A city that was hungry for truth. And many experienced Christ for the first time. Miracles took place night after night. People were called into ministry. And because these two sisters decided to listen to the voice of the Lord in their life, over 75 preachers would come out from underneath their ministry. And they would go wherever God would call them to go. And share this precious gospel that we have today. I tell you all of that here this morning because I believe that God is sending a baptism of his spirit that is sweeping across our nation once again. We're seeing people to come to God like we've never seen before. And I believe that God is doing it again. So my prayer has been, God, do it again. Do it again just like what you did before. Flood the streets with this message of your good news. So that people will know who you are. The only question is, are we ready? To understand this, I want us to take us to the scene of the first Passover. The very first Passover. Death was in the air. A young boy, he stands outside with his father watching him splash blood onto the doorposts of their humble home. Why, Dad? Why? Comes the question. This is to keep you alive, son. God had commissioned a man named Moses to liberate the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Just like we talked about last Sunday. And he still had a plan to bring them to a land that he had promised them. 
he promised that would be theirs. The king of Egypt called a pharaoh, refuses to let these Israelite slaves go. God tells Moses, I am going to send plagues on Egypt, and Pharaoh will let my people go. But plague after plague came on Egypt, and Pharaoh would not budge. And God sends one last plague that would kill all of the firstborn sons in the land, except for those who were covered by the blood. The only way the Israelites could protect themselves, the Lord told them, was to take the blood of a spotless lamb and apply it to the doorposts of their house and then go inside and partake of that lamb that they had sacrificed. And when death passes over, it would see that the blood was applied and the angel of death would pass over and they would be safe. And so that day, the Israelites, they spent preparing for the plague. And when death came, they were ready. And as they were eating what would be their last supper in Egypt, the death angel passed over their home. It couldn't touch them because the blood had been applied. Later, that same Passover meal would become a celebration for the Jews of the deliverance that night in Egypt. It would always be. It would go down in history as the day that God had saved them. The, the day that God delivered them from slavery. This was the celebration that the disciples thought that they were coming together to celebrate in John 13 and 14. When we turn over to the New Testament, we read that the Israelites were still celebrating the Passover. The day that God saved them. And that's worth celebrating. It's worth going back to those milestones and remembering this is the point that God saved me. That's worth telling the story again and again. Grandpa, tell me the story again about the blood that you had to put on the doorposts of your home to save dad. That's worth celebrating. Tell me again how God saved us. And in their minds, the disciples thought that they were getting together for the Passover. I don't think they originally called this meal the Last Supper. I don't think they went into this meal thinking, we're going to call this meal the Last Supper. <laughs> that would have added an ominous tone to the evening festivities, though, I can only imagine. Just a day ago, the streets, they were filled with people who were wildly cheering as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And for the people in Jerusalem, they realized that this was a prophecy coming true right before their very eyes. Something that they had waited centuries for. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. They were celebrating what they thought was Christ's coronation as king. And many thought that Jesus was setting himself up as the conquering king. At least that's what they had hoped for. The people were paving his way with palm branches and their coats, taking off their coats and laying it down on the streets in his path as they made a royal robe, road for the king of kings. And Josephus wrote that there were as many as three million people in Jerusalem that day. People who had gathered there for the Passover feast. People everywhere standing shoulder to shoulder trying to catch a glimpse of royalty, shaking each other. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. There was something undeniably special about the entrance into Jerusalem. And in verse 10, it says that the whole city 
was stirred. This is not just, this is not just a, a sale that they post up somewhere that people get excited about. This was course changing for them. This was something that they had been waiting for. And the Bible says that the whole city was stirred. It refers to it just like an earthquake. And John, he writes in his gospel that the religious leaders were saying to each other, John chapter 12, verse 19, look how the whole world has gone after him. Everyone was shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna was Hebrew for save us. So they were really shouting, save us, Messiah, save us, King. This crowd of people are crying out for Jesus to save them, and that's exactly why he came. In fact, that's what the angel told his parents. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I imagine as the disciples followed Christ to the place that they would have supper that night, they were on an all-time high. After three years of following you around, Lord, we are finally seeing you set up your kingdom. Did you see that parade today? Man. But the celebration, it took on a somber note that evening. As they are bickering over who will be the greatest in this new kingdom. Jesus, he walks over and grabs a towel and a bowl of water. And he kneels down and starts washing their feet. The one who sat on the back of a donkey as people shouted, Three million people crammed into that city and people lining the streets shouting, save us. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, was humbly scrubbing the dirt off his followers' feet. They all sat at the table bewildered by what just happened. And then the Lord begins teaching them. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is where our context comes in. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Greater works than Jesus? Confusion, I imagine, draped across their faces. Bewilderment. I don't understand, Lord. What could be greater than the miracles you have already done? What could be greater than the things that you have already done? Hours later, Jesus would be put on trial. And when they are unable to find any fault in him, he is nailed to an old rugged cross anyways. Before long, he would cry out, it is finished. The sky would turn dark. An earthquake would shake the earth. A veil would be torn in two. And Jesus would die. This Passover looked very different than the celebration that they thought they were going to have with the Lord. This eight-day celebration turned into something they weren't expecting. They had expected that he was finally setting up his kingdom on the earth. And you know what? They weren't wrong. Boy, was he ever setting up a kingdom. On that Passover, the Lamb of God died on an old rugged cross, and his precious blood was poured out. And we, somebody say here this morning, we, we are privileged today to be saved by that precious blood. What looked like defeat brought victory. What looked like despair brought us hope. But man, what a roller coaster. 
Friday crushed all their hopes and dreams. Their world came apart. For over three years, they had left everything behind to follow the Lord. And then they have this unusual supper with the Lord, where I'm sure they left more confused than enlightened. And moments later, he's dead. But didn't he promise us that greater works than these will we do? How can this be the end? They weren't ready for what God was doing. I know it's been a crazy roller coaster that we've been on, but I just got on. The ride shouldn't be finished yet. The disciples, they find themselves hiding out in a house, scared to death of what the future holds for them. Their king is dead. But three days later, three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, just like he said he would, and the Lord shows up. Oh, thank the Lord. He shows up at their hiding place and reminds them of the mission that he has. It's not over. And the first time, for the first time, they get a glimpse of what his kingdom looked like. But the question is, are they ready? They had followed the Lord when the crowds loved him and when the crowds despised him. They had followed him when people flocked to see who, where he was and what he was up to. And they had followed him when it was just them. They had been with him when he did miracle after miracle. And just when they thought that their Savior was dead and all hope was lost, they get another chance again to follow him. But this time, they're ready. He tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go tell the world. But before you go, I have something to give you. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's going to give you power to become what I want you to be. It's going to give you power to be my church. There was a prophecy that they held on to from generation to generation that was given to the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Somebody say all flesh. That includes us. They had this prophecy. They didn't know how it was going to come about. And so as they enter into an upper room in Jerusalem and pray day after day that God's Spirit would be poured out just like He promised that it would, suddenly the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Hallelujah. As of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and people in the streets that day they heard all of this commotion and they wondered what in the world this is all about so one of the disciples named Peter he got up and he announced this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And the crowd asked, what do we have to do? Are you ready? 
What do we have to do? The Apostle Peter goes on to preach the first salvation message. He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Aren't you thankful that he's still calling today? He's still calling today. And as the Lord fills over 3,000 people with his spirit that day in Jerusalem, the disciples realized that's what Jesus meant by greater things. This is what Jesus was talking about by greater things. It was never in their own abilities. It was always in his willingness. It was never in their own capabilities. It always lied within his goodness. That he could take a group of misfits, a group of people he called together and tell them, what you've seen me do, greater things will you do. You haven't seen anything yet. That's what this tells me. You haven't seen anything yet. You've seen the dead raised. You've seen over 5,000 fed miraculously. You've seen the lame walk and the blind see. You've seen me cast out demons and walk on water, but you haven't seen anything yet. Wait until you see what I'm going to do through you. If I could have the music come back. Out of love for us, God came to earth to become the sacrifice for our sins by dying on the cross in our place. The first Passover, it was a foreshadow of what he would later do himself. Christ walked out of his grave so that he could walk into your life and apply his precious blood. The only way to be saved from your sins is through him. Come on, somebody here this morning. The only way for everything to change in your life is through him. God with us is also God in us. He didn't establish a kingdom here on earth like anything that we could have predicted. He is building a kingdom, all right. But it's in us. I don't have this in my notes. This is what happens. I get off sometimes. But I love what the writers of the New Testament describe the church as. The Bible refers to Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In the building, the cornerstone is something that is built off of. And if you have to make sure that that cornerstone is aligned perfectly on the foundation or else everything else built off of it will all be out of line. He is the chief cornerstone. God is established as the chief cornerstone. But then for the church... He calls us lively stones built off of that chief cornerstone. And he's building a church piece by piece, calling person by person, reaching out into the highways and the byways. I need another stone. I need another lively stone. The Bible tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Are you thankful here this morning that we have the opportunity to be one of those lively stones? Let me also tell you here this morning that when one of those lively stones is pulled from the wall and falls in a disarray, out of line with God and His Word, it's not just the chief cornerstone 
that notices that. The whole body feels that. The whole body notices when there's one piece out of alignment. It notices when there's one that is not in unison with the other. It notices when there's one that's plucked from the wall. And this can happen throughout life. Life can throw its curveballs, and it is a roller coaster at times with our emotions, and it plays on us. But I'm here to tell somebody here this morning that he's desiring to build a kingdom. He's desiring to build a kingdom. And so this still begs the question for the church of God today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for what God is doing? Life has handed unexpected curveballs, sure. We've been turned right side up and upside down. We faced heartbreak and disappointment. The church has been through the flood and it's been through the fire. And like the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Corinth, we are troubled on every side. But you know what? Not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Hallelujah, Jesus. Persecuted. Just like he told us that we would be for his name's sake. But not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of all the greater things that he has in store for those who are willing to allow him just to work through us. Lord, work through us. So we parade the streets with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we all stand? It's not the first time that the gospel of Jesus Christ has flooded into the streets of St. John, but I can guarantee you this year, this morning, it will not be the last. Because there's a church here in St. John that says, do it again, Lord. Do it again. We want to see it happen again. Hallelujah. We speak Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. And to those that are crying out from the depths of their soul here this morning, save me. We share the message that saves. We pray that his will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. We go where the Lord leads, but not without his spirit, guiding us through every conversation, every interaction, every single day. To the lost and dying world, we as the body of Christ are empowered by him to be witnesses of what he has done in our life. To proclaim to the world, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. Look what he did in my life. He can do it in yours. To the one who walked in here this morning feeling hopeless, he is hope. Let me tell you here this morning from firsthand experience, he is hope. To the one who doesn't know if God is ever there, let me tell you this morning, He is with you. To the one who is too afraid to step out into what God is calling you to do, He is your strength. God is calling this generation of believers, hear me this morning, God is calling this generation, He's calling you, this generation of believers, into the greatest revival that we have ever seen. And so we wipe the tears from our eyes and we tell the Lord again, do it again, Lord. Pour out your presence in St. John again. We want to see the miracles. We want to see the healings. We want to see the city turned upside down for your gospel, for your glory. So do it again. Do it again. 
I'm going to open up this altar here this morning and I want you to begin to claim that promise in faith here this morning that God isn't finished yet. Greater things, greater things than these will you do. Come on, he's talking to the church here this morning. Greater things. Hallelujah, Jesus. Greater things. Pour out your presence, God, like we've never seen before. God, we've seen revival. Lord, we've seen you reach into people's lives, God, into homes that were a mess. God, and when you applied your precious blood, Jesus, everything changed. Lord, this city has been turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's something within us here this morning that just cries out again. Do it again, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Call people back into your presence again. Create a hunger for you, Lord, again. Hallelujah, Jesus. We want to see you do it again. Hallelujah, Jesus. We want to see you do it again. Hallelujah, Lord. That's our heartbeat. That's our cry, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.